Welcome to the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh's Case Notes podcast. Over the next few months, we're going to delve into the different physician branches or specialties. Just to start off with, what is a physician? Most people know what a GP is and what a surgeon is, but not everyone knows exactly what a physician does. Well, the formal description is specialists in internal medicine, so diseases and complaints that happen inside your body. And even if that sounds unfamiliar, you've almost certainly heard of a lot of the areas that this covers, like cardiology, diabetes, allergies, palliative care, infectious disease, and neurology. These are all branches of medicine or specialties that physicians are responsible for. In each coming episode of Case Notes, we will pick one of these specialties and delve into its history, looking at its development over hundreds of years and some of the interesting stories and cases from the past. We'll also talk to a current physician working in that area to find out what it is like to be working as a specialist physician in the 21st century. This episode of Case Notes will uncover the history of infectious diseases. This is such a huge subject that we can't look at the history of every single disease, so we're going to focus on changing ideas around infection. Then we'll talk to Dr. James Whitehorn, a specialist currently working in the field of infectious diseases. And at the end, we'll look at a case note from the history of infectious diseases. Humoral theory dates back to ancient Greece. According to this theory, the body was thought to be made up of four humours or fluids, which needed to be maintained in a balance to ensure health. A patient's illness could be caused by an imbalance of these four humours, or by an accumulation of a particular corrupt or putrid humour in one organ or part of their body. Under humoral theory, environment, especially the quality of air, was essential in balancing the humours and maintaining health. The existence of miasma or bad air, according to humoral theory, meant that some towns or areas were, by their very nature, detrimental to people's health. This bad air caused epidemics. A group of doctors, mostly trained in Edinburgh and often working in close contact with one another, led the development of new theories on infection in the late 18th century. The ideas which these physicians came up with and wrote about emphasised that infectious diseases were transmitted by contagion. This contagion, rather than being based on those earlier theories which had identified generic bad air as a source of disease, instead entailed contact with specific diseased particles. Exposure to infection, particularly in overcrowded and dirty cities, was identified as the key factor in the transmission of diseases like typhus and smallpox. Some doctors strongly disagreed with the idea of contagion. Many other physicians, including the Scottish doctor William Buchan, while not rejecting contagionist theory, combined elements of this approach with earlier ideas around the causes of disease. According to Buchan, while infectious diseases were spread partially by dirty living conditions and close proximity to the infected, they could also be brought about by eating cherries, drinking strong liquor, and having excessive passions or affections of the mind. 
This new focus on contagion as the method of transmission of infectious diseases also encouraged study of diseases as separate entities. If miasma didn't cause diseases, then maybe they all had different causes and should be studied separately to figure out what their unique characteristics and causes were. This new approach began with smallpox. This disease became a model for the study of infectious diseases because of one important characteristic. Smallpox was the only 18th century infectious disease which could be prevented by a single act, the process of inoculation. Smallpox inoculation was adopted formally by medical authorities in Britain in the first half of the 18th century, after it was promoted by high-profile individuals such as Sir Hans Sloane, the King's physician. Inoculation was already carried out before this, though, in China, in the Middle East, and in the highlands of Scotland. Inoculation remained a controversial procedure. There was a lot of public fear that it wouldn't prevent smallpox outbreaks, but instead it would cause them, as it involved infecting an individual with a supposedly mild dose of the disease in order to induce natural immunity. Particular concern was voiced, including by physicians who otherwise supported inoculation, regarding the adoption of the procedure in large towns and cities. The impossibility, in such instances, of simultaneously inoculating the majority of residents led to fears that undertaking this procedure would serve to spread contagion. While the death rate which resulted from inoculation was significantly lower than the deaths from naturally contracted smallpox, even a small number of fatalities could exacerbate public fears. In order to counter these concerns, some physicians presented detailed statistical evidence to demonstrate the greater survival rates of those who were inoculated. Alongside these concerns, the poor face an additional obstacle, the high cost of inoculation. The method adopted by medical practitioners in the first half of the 18th century was convoluted and expensive, involving weeks of preparation, bleeding, purging, and a restricted or low diet. This was followed by the creation of a deep incision in order to insert smallpox scabs or fluid, a process which required a lengthy period to heal. This approach had its origins in humoral theory, whereby the body's humours needed to be rebalanced prior to inoculation. During the 1750s and 1760s, an English surgeon, Robert Sutton, developed a simpler process, which involved a more superficial cut and therefore required less recovery time. After the process was publicised by his son, Daniel Sutton, it was widely adopted by medical practitioners. Although the Sutton method reduced the expense of the procedure, this new approach still involved taking a lot of medicines and a special preparatory diet, and so remained out of the reach of many poorer people. Vaccination, like inoculation, had been practiced as a folk remedy long before it was adopted by orthodox medical practitioners. This procedure, unlike inoculation, did not involve infecting the individual with smallpox. Instead, it involved a naturally occurring vaccine, cowpox, which was administered to the patient by cutting their skin, using much the same method as had before been used with inoculation. The publication in 1798 
by the English physician Edward Jenner of the findings of his research on vaccination brought widespread acceptance of the usefulness and safety of this method. As a result, the world's first vaccine was born. So we're here to talk about infectious diseases in the modern day, and we have Dr. James Whitehorn here with us. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what your specialty is, where you work? Sure. So um, hello, everyone. My name is James Whitehorn. I'm a consultant in infectious diseases and uh, microbiology, and I'm based at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. Um, and I was a trainee um, in infectious diseases and microbiology, um, primarily in London, but I spent quite a lot of time working overseas as well. Thank you. So what does that cover? What does your study of microbiology and infectious diseases, could you, could you just sort of summarise what that is for those of us who sure, don't know? No, of course. So, um, so infection, I guess the whole, um, in many ways, microbiology and infectious diseases are two sides of the same coin. Um, so one is looking at the laboratory diagnostic aspects of infection. Um, so that includes diagnosing bacteria, fungi or parasites that may be infecting, or indeed viruses that may be infecting um, a patient. Um, and infectious diseases side of the of the of the coin is very much looking after patients who have infections. So that can be looking after inpatients who are suffering from infectious diseases and having a, a ward full of patients. So I guess my uh, my practice encompasses both ends of that spectrum. Um, so some of my time I could be spent in the diagnostic laboratory, uh, processing laboratory results and uh, liaising with the clinical teams uh, for whose patients they are. And other parts of my work can be looking after an inpatient ward with patients with infectious disease and seeing patients coming to hospital with acute infections uh, and managing that aspect of their care. Um, so the microbiology aspect encompasses pretty much every patient in the hospital who develops an infection. And that can encompass any patients from very premature neonates in the neonatal intensive care unit to elderly patients in the elderly care unit. Whereas my inpatient work with infectious diseases is, is entirely in adults uh, with infectious diseases. Thank you. So kind of following on from that, I guess, um, I'm interested to know if there are any stereotypes about what you do or misconceptions, or is there anything that will surprise people about your work? So I think that um, I think a lot of people have a perception that infectious disease specialists uh, are basically um, endlessly trotting off to do extremely exciting things with outbreaks and other things around the world. And while indeed our specialty does encompass that, and I've been fortunate enough to experience some aspects of that kind of work, um, the majority of our work is very much, you know, it's based in NHS hospitals or indeed in academic centres, uh, looking after patients um, who develop infections. So a lot of people think that you're looking after very exotic and strange and unusual infections. But a lot of what we do is looking after patients who may have cancer and be having immunosuppression for their cancer treatment and they develop infections as part of their treatment. Uh, so it's perhaps less exotic uh, and more mainstream. Um, so I think people do have that perception about what we do. Uh, they may have seen a film or something like that, which has kind of coloured their perception of infectious diseases. I think also it's worth saying that the whole profile of infection has changed hugely uh, as a result of the pandemic. Um, and I think the kind of work that my colleagues uh, and myself do uh, with infectious diseases and um, in terms of the research aspects of that has become far um, further up the forefront in people's, in, in people's mind about how we actually work. Could you give us an example of a sort of day in the life of someone who does your sort of work? Sure, I, I guess I, I, I can probably answer that in two parts. I suppose the day in the life of when I'm on the inpatient wards uh, as a, and the day in life when I'm primarily working in the laboratory side of it. So on the inpatient wards, my day would start with um, meeting my, my team um, and um, finding out about any new patients that have come in under our care overnight or whether there are patients in the ED who need to be seen, the emergency department who may be waiting to be seen by an infection specialist. 
um, and um, and then 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 we'll be finding out who the sick patients under our care are, and primarily seeing those straight away. Uh, and then a, a lot of our day is we have a lot of meetings with other teams as well. So we have to meet with other specialty specialties, and we have a lot of dialogue about um, complex management of our patients. Um, and, and much of the day will be taken up with a ward round and seeing patients and referrals to our team who may be under other, other, other specialties. So there may be patients who are under the surgical team who've developed an infection and they need our input. Um, so that would be um, a day in the clinical side. So it'd be, you know, essentially seeing acute patients and new patients and referral patients, as well as supervising uh, junior doctors in my team and medical students who may be attached to our team uh, and providing some teaching to those and inevitably attending various multidisciplinary meetings. So we, for example, we have um, HIV meetings, for example, to discuss our HIV patients who are under our cohort. And that's an, often a regional meeting. So we can have specialists from around the region discussing um, their HIV patients. Um, and we have a sort of MDT discussion. Um, on the contrary side, if I'm, if I'm working primarily in, in the microbiology side, so on the diagnostic side, um, my day, I may not see patients so much that day. Um, I will see some patients when I'm working on that side, but it maybe is primarily based on laboratory uh, and to be trying to process results to make sure results go out to the, the relevant clinical teams. Uh, we do um, rounds within the laboratory to make sure that, for example, um, the workup of a, a positive blood culture, so patients got an infection in their bloodstream, is being done appropriately. And again, there'll be a lot of training as well um, to our trainees who are coming through the specialty. Uh, and during that day, we'll, I, I'll normally go and do a round in intensive care um, and um, have a dialogue with the intensive care physicians about the management of their patients, particularly from an infection side of it. And that can be more about managing hospital-acquired infections uh, or preventing infections and infection control. Um, so a lot of that's about antibiotic stewardship and trying to preserve our antibiotic resources and ensure appropriate prescribing for these acutely unwell patients in intensive care settings. Um, and what we try and do, we go and see patients who've developed a positive blood culture. So they've got a blood, they've developed a bacteria, they've, we've grown a bacteria in their bloodstream. Um, and often those patients will require a clinical review, uh, which someone from our team will generally go and do. Um, and again, a lot of the time outside of those clinical sides of it, we can be having meetings about infection control or antibiotic stewardship as well during the day. So in a way, there's sort of two very different days which can encompass typical days in my clinical work. So one's on the infectious disease side, which is very much management of acute inpatients. And one is very much on the laboratory side, which again has clinical contacts, but maybe less, it's slightly more removed from the front line uh, of the clinical service. Thank you very much. So um, for, I'm going to ask yet another sort of almost impossible question, which is kind of, you know, remembering back to your youth and when you were considering all the different potential medical specialties, you know, what, what was it about, um, you know, what your work that sort of really attracted you? Why did you decide to specialise in this way? So it's a, it's a good question. I, I, I mean, a lot of my colleagues in infectious diseases, we've all had quite roundabout career routes often into the specialty. Um, so, I mean, I, I did a, um, when I was in medical school, I um, integrated a Bachelor of Science degree uh, and um, did a project looking at um, sort of the molecular biology of malaria. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And that was in a sort of a first kind of contact with infectious diseases more from a research angle. Uh, but again, as part of that, I got very interested in that particular disease. Um, and I spent my medical school elective uh, working in India, um, and we saw lots of patients with malaria, with typhoid, uh, with leprosy and other infectious diseases. And that was um, sort of opened up my mind to this area. Um, and as a junior doctor, I, I spent six months working in HIV medicine, uh, which was uh, which was fascinating. Um, and I um, spent a year after my SHO rotation, which we now call core medical training, uh, working um, in Zambia and Uganda as a kind of volunteer medical officer. Uh, and that really opened my mind to you know, working in the tropics and 
the infectious disease challenges that these areas face. But my original career plan, um, which I'd set up before going to work in Africa, was to become a geriatrician. Uh, and I actually came back from working in Zambia and Uganda and started training in geriatric medicine. Uh, but I think that the experience working in Africa kind of had kind of made me more interested in infectious diseases. So I, um, I left that specialty and I did a master's in tropical medicine. Uh, and during my master's, I applied for infectious diseases and microbiology training, which is what I ended up, ended up doing. So it's a slightly circuitous route. Uh, and it wasn't my first career plan, but I think I'd been fascinated with areas of infectious diseases from being a medical student. No, that's that's really interesting. Thank you. And, and quite a, a range from malaria to HIV and, and many things in between. Um, so and this is, again, given given everything you've just said about all the places you've worked and all the things that you've done. Um, my next question is is complicated, I suppose, which is, have you seen anything interesting <laughs> or have you seen any interesting cases? But probably you've seen many. Yeah, I think that I think well, I'm, I'm very biased. I think that we've got the I work in the most interesting specialty. So I think there's most days we see interesting patients. I, I guess I mean, I've been I spent I mean, so I've worked in Zambia, Uganda, and I also um, I did my PhD um, based out in Vietnam. So I was in Vietnam for four years, uh, doing a research on dengue. Um, and while we were working there, I was attached to a um, major infectious diseases hospital in Vietnam, we would do clinical rounds. And I saw a huge variety of of, um, of what would be in the UK, unusual infections to see. So we had a tetanus ward and there'd be things like that. So we'd see infections like tetanus and devastating infections like rabies, as well as malaria and obviously dengue, which is what my research was on. Um, and I also, um, during that time I spent, um, I worked in Sierra Leone um, as part of the clinical response to Ebola. Um, so I went, I, I looked after patients with Ebola in Sierra Leone. Um, so I think that um, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. And um, that was something which I think was, um, Certainly interesting, but also very, very challenging um, and to, to work in that kind of context. Um, but I would argue that, you know, I, during my training, I spent um, a couple of years working at the Hospital of Tropical Diseases in London, um, and uh, which was an absolutely brilliant place to work. I mean, fantastic colleagues, amazing support from the consultants who I was working with. Uh, but we saw a huge variety of tropical infections. So what we'd, what you'd find if you worked at somewhere like Zambia or in Vietnam, you do see amazing infections, but you don't see such a variety because you see what's specific to that geographic region. Whereas working in London, even though London itself isn't a tropical country, we see patients coming from all over the world uh, with various um, unusual infections. And there was an incredible variety of things that we'd see there. Um, and it was an absolutely fascinating experience to be, um, to be working there. Um, so it's very difficult to pick out any specifically interesting patients because I think that there's been so many uh, along the way and and indeed there still remain so many uh, on a day-to-day -day practice even um, in in the fens of Cambridgeshire uh, we see very many fascinating patients here as well. Thank you yes no you've you've led a very rich and varied life by the sounds of it um, so I wanted to ask you about the changes that have taken place within your research sort of over the course of your career. And I'm assuming from the things that you've said that obviously literally the diseases themselves have changed. Um, but are there changes in the way you approach things, the way you think about your, your work? So I think that that's a really excellent question. I think it's quite difficult to answer that specifically. I think one of the things that, so I, I qualified as a doctor in 2002, and I think that since 2002 to now, we've been dealing with um, increasing number of infectious diseases outbreaks. Uh, and um, so obviously we're dealing in the moment with, with SARS-CoV-2, the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, but you know, also during that time, we've been dealing with many other infectious diseases challenges. And I think this is a reflection on a changing world, really. And I think that the, um, the way that we live, uh, humanity lives with nature means that emerging infections uh, and infectious challenges are going to be part and parcel of our future. 
And this is perhaps, I mean, something I think infectious disease specialists have always kind of been aware of um, this risk about the way that we live with the ecosystem that we, uh, we live with. Um, but I think this has become very stark and very, very evident that, you know, during the last, um, since the year 2000, we've had obviously the first SARS outbreak, we've got COVID now, there's been MERS in the Middle East, uh, there's been the outbreak of Zika, there was the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, and there's been many, many other infectious disease challenges, which are, um, I think that's kind of become part and parcel of our, of our world. Um, and I think this is um, obviously part and parcel of what we do as infectious disease specialists, we need to be aware and abreast of these challenges. I guess on a specific note, I think in the research world, um, I think that the threat of pandemics and emerging infections has kind of changed the way that we approach doing um, clinical research in this kind of context. So traditionally doing clinical research and developing a clinical trial um, is often a very slow process, but with the infectious disease challenges that we're facing, uh, that, that process really isn't fit for purpose. Um, we need to have clinical trials which are ready to hit the ground and be able to answer clinical questions uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and in fact, we've seen that working really, really well with COVID uh, and the recovery trial um, that was led out of the Oxford group, uh, but throughout the UK and indeed the world um, has really changed the way clinical trials are done um, with infectious diseases. And I think this has been, uh, this has been a huge step forward. And I think that, I think when, and I say when, because I think it will be, it is a question of when, there are future outbreaks. Uh, I think we've been in a far stronger position to do clinical research in these challenging situations. Um, and that was, the Oxford group developed that um, pr those principles uh, with the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, but it's really, really come to it fruition with the COVID pandemic and the recovery trial has changed clinical practice with COVID very, very quickly. Um, and I think we need to work in that kind of way. I guess the other challenge is, which is a very different, uh, you know, well, it's not very different actually, it's, it's also a kind of uh, global health threat and that's the, the emergence of antibody resistance. Um, and it's a kind of slow burning pandemic, but it's really gonna change the way we all work in medicine. Um, and I think that antibiotic resistance is a huge challenge. Uh, and there is a real threat of dealing with uh, almost untreatable bacterial infections. And that will have a knock-on effect on how we deliver healthcare generally. So things like having surgery become far more dangerous and perhaps even impossible uh, because of the risk of developing an untreatable bacterial infection after surgery. Um, so I think this is, this is something which we are all involved with, but it's how we steward our antibiotic resources so we can preserve them for the future. Um, and um, ensure that we can deliver healthcare effectively. Um, so I think those are um, sort of two really big challenges, which are, they've been there since I've qualified, uh, but I think they've perhaps become far up in the public uh, awareness of threat. Um, I guess other challenges, I think that this is more of a wider thing, and this affects all of us in medicine, whatever area you're working in, there's things like vaccine hesitancy, uh, and the threat of that and how we deal with that. Um, and I think that while you know, science has provided huge answers to many of our problems, um, that's all very well and good, but if we can't get people to trust the scientists and trust the people promoting the vaccines, then we're really in trouble. And I think it's a real challenge that we face uh, as a global health community, not just within infectious diseases, but more, far more generally than that. Um, and this is something that I think we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to work with effect, uh, going forward. Thank you very much. So given what you said about, you, you know, the, the future of, of infectious diseases work, um, there are, of course, some medical specialties that are growing at a faster rate than others. So geriatric medicine being an example as, as people are living longer. And yeah. presumably that will apply to infectious diseases as well. So I'm curious, 
there are potentially going to be more people entering your specialty. So is there anything for those who may be listening who are considering a career in infectious medicine, which you would recommend or suggest that they think about or do? Yes, I think that um, you're absolutely right. I think that infectious disease as, an, as a specialty has expanded. So that's something which definitely happened during my career. So I think previously, infectious diseases was kind of linked uh, almost solely with general internal medicine. Uh, and it was quite a niche specialty that would be done in kind of teaching hospital settings pretty much only. Um, and since I qualified, they've kind of expanded infectious disease training. So you can do it in parallel with microbiology. So you can train in microbiology, which used to be a standalone, well, it still remains a standalone specialty in its own right, but now increasingly it's linked with infectious diseases. So you do both the laboratory and the clinical aspect of infectious diseases. And the, the idea of that is that essentially every hospital in the country can employ people who are trained in infectious diseases. They may be primarily based in the microbiology laboratory, but they can provide an infectious diseases um, opinion to patients throughout the hospital as well. Um, so I think the specialty has expanded enormously um, and the training opportunities within it have increased as well, which is all very well and good. Because I think previously the UK um, stood way behind other countries in terms of our number of infectious diseases specialists. Uh, and that has changed enormously. I think all that being said, I mean, the routes into it remain very similar. So um, the standard route into infectious diseases with microbiology or infectious diseases with general medicine uh, is to do um, general medical training initially after your foundation years. You get, you get your MRCP exams, which is the entry ticket into specialist training within the specialty, whether you do it with internal medicine or with microbiology. Um, and, um, but I think that, you know, I think that's obviously essential, but I think that um, having the if you have the opportunity to work overseas or to get involved with research, uh, those are all excellent things to do and obviously try and spend time if you can in your uh, junior doctor rotations working within an infection centre would be very very helpful too or at least getting involved with um, audit projects that may for example sit in within microbiology that can show that you've got an interest in the area and you get engaged with that 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 area of medicine. I think it's worth just saying there is another obviously paediatricians there's a paediatric infection is a, is a different specialty uh, I'm much much less familiar with the training for that uh, but that's kind of people who go into paediatrics and then they sub-specialise at a later date in, in paediatric infectious diseases. And obviously a lot of work that we do overlaps with work that they do as well. Um, but that's a different, that's a totally different training route. Uh, and I'm less familiar with that. Thank you very much. So we've done the present and the future. So I'm now going to ask you a little bit about the, the history side of things. And I just wondered, do, is there a particular moment or, or discovery or development that, that you know, it doesn't have to be ancient history, you know, could be in your, your lifetime that you think is really crucial for the development of your specialty? Well, I think it's probably difficult not to acknowledge the, you know, the development of vaccination, development of antibiotics, and I suppose in many ways the development of infection control. Um, and those three kind of areas have led to, had a huge impact on saving lives and uh, around the world. So I, I guess in many ways, the people that I would sort of single out as the kind of you know, the heroes who need kind of statues made of them in, in many ways. I, I guess there's, there's Jenner with vaccination um, and, you know, he developed the, the, the smallpox vaccination, which then obviously that the, the science behind that has led to our vaccination that we have available now. Um, and then I think in terms of the antibiotic area, there's um, Selman Waxman uh, and there's um, Alexander Fleming as well, who developed, um, well, they, they were sort of in many ways the forefathers of antibiotic therapy, which is such a huge part of our clinical practice. Um, and I think it's also really important to acknowledge um, Simmelweis, who was a Hungarian physician who uh, really advocated about um, hand hygiene and its importance. And he recognized how vital it was to wash, wash your hands. Um, and he was really, really disregarded and ignored in his time. And the poor man ended up dying in, a, in a, an asylum. Uh, he was sort of being driven crazy by people just not taking him seriously. But I think we recognize that 
the, the simple, simple intervention of hand hygiene is absolutely fundamental to good clinical care. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually involved with a project. We, we've got a partnership project that we run from Cambridge with uh, colleagues in Kampala um, working uh, on antibiotic stewardship, antibiotic stewardship and infection control in a maternity hospital in Uganda. Uh, and one of the main things that we promote through that is hand hygiene. And it's absolutely fundamental importance to good patient care and safe patient care. Um, so I think that Simulvice also deserves acknowledgement too. So I'd single out those kind of three very, very big areas uh, and those leading figures within them who have kind of uh, really changed clinical practice. Um, and in many ways, we're, we're working with the, um, with, on their foundations in many ways now. Is there one object or one tool, you know, whether it's for diagnosis or treatment that you would sort of select, you know, to preserve in the museum of medical specialties? I think that, um, so we're not, in fact, this is, isn't a specialty that has a specific procedure, uh, like many, many, many specialties do. And we, you know, we don't have, you know, the tendon hammer that might be associated with neurology, for example. I think that, um, like in any area of medicine, I mean, the history is so fundamental uh, and taking the history from the patient. Uh, and I think this is so true in infectious diseases. And I think that, I guess there's a kind of stereotype of infectious diseases specialists uh, going completely overboard in the detail they take from patients' histories. Um, and I think that's a, it's a bit of a caricature, but it's probably quite fair because I think that we really are interested in every single detail of the patients who presents in front of us. We do care about their pets. We do care about their hobbies and their travel history. So I think that it's less, of, less an item, but more about the, the fundamental importance of taking a detailed and thorough medical history. Uh, and because the patient is, I mean, I think it was said by, I think it might have been Osler, the patient is telling you the answer in the history. Um, and um, so, it, and, and the majority of what we do, uh, and the majority of the answers that we find is in the history. Uh, and I think that that is that is the key thing. Um, so I think that the key kind of attribute to being a good infection specialist is is being a very very good history taker and being a good patient examiner as well. But the history is where most information uh, is found. Obviously, once you've done the history and the examination, then you do need to order the test that we. Um, to try and confirm the diagnosis, but you order that based on the, what you found from the history. Uh, so I think that is the key thing that we really that we really want to retain and have retained, I think. Thank you. So you've almost answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway, just in case you have more thoughts. Um, what I wanted to ask is, are there particular skills or attributes that you think are important for someone in your specialty? And obviously note taking, you know, and attention to detail you sort of, you've, you've just mentioned, but are there any other skills or abilities you think are important? Yes, I think, that, I mean, as I mentioned, the history taking, the sort of the note taking, the, the attention to detail are absolutely vital. Uh, I think a, a curiosity um, is a really, really important attribute as well. Um, a curiosity about uh, the patient that's in front of you and trying to get to the diagnosis. I think it's also really important to be um, non-judgmental as well. Um, I think that, um, for example, you know, a lot of my colleagues, when, you know, for example, the HIV pandemic, uh, which um, affected at, certainly at the beginning, very much marginalized populations, it was really, really important to be non-judgmental, to be very much on the patient's side. So a non-judgmental uh, curiosity and attention to detail would be really, really important attributes, I think, in infectious diseases. Thank you. So I've been asking every medical specialist I've spoken to as part of this series how the COVID pandemic has impacted on their work. And obviously it varies from person to person, but in infectious diseases, it seems particularly relevant that we're in the middle of the pandemic um, as we are speaking in mid-January 2022. So 
how has being in the middle of an infectious disease outbreak impacted on being an infectious disease specialist? Well, I think it's, I mean, one thing it has done is it's probably raised the profile of our specialty. Um, so, but, but in terms of our day-to-day practice, I think that, um, so I guess my, my, the, my work is divided into two real camps. So one is the microbiology stroke infection control aspect, and one is the clinical infection disease side. So on terms of the microbiology infection control side, I think a huge part of what I've been doing throughout the pandemic is about infection control um, and about trying to promote, uh, keep patients and staff safe uh, during the pandemic and you know, design wards and patient flow and essentially attend what seems like endless meetings with um, trying to get these things established and the protocols established about how you manage patients safely and minimize the risk of hospital acquired COVID infection or staff acquired COVID infection. Um, so that's a huge, been a huge part of our lives for the last two years is about these processes. And um, we have very regular infection control meetings. We have the regular problems that are raised that we need to address um, and huge amount of guideline writing, which needs to be adapted uh, very, very regularly because the guidelines are always changing. Uh, and on the other side, when I'm doing uh, inpatient infectious diseases, then I will have a ward under my care with patients who have COVID. Uh, and it's about the clinical management of those patients as well. So I guess in many ways, like any doctor working on COVID, we've had to learn this disease from scratch. Uh, yes, we were infectious disease specialists, but I don't think that really gives us, I mean, other than that it's our specialty, I think that many other specialists have been hugely involved with this as well. And I'm you know, acknowledge my uh, respiratory physician colleagues, my intensive care colleagues, and many other general physicians who've basically um, become COVID, spe- COVID specialists and, you know, include geriatricians and diabetologists who've been hugely uh, important, certainly within our hospital, uh, in delivering COVID care throughout the pandemic. Um, and I think that, um, but we've been all been learning from scratch. We've been learning how to manage this disease um, from scratch. And, um, and what's happened so quickly is that we've developed, developed far better ways of managing these patients more effectively. Uh, and we see how uh, much better they do with better clinical management. Um, so I think in many ways, my job has been split between two real aspects. One is the clinical care, one is the infection control side and the management side of the processes and flows within the hospital. Uh, but like everyone working in health, um, we've had to learn this disease from the beginning. Thank you very much. So before we finish up, is there anything that you would like to talk about that you haven't been asked or anything that's sort of on your mind? I can't think of anything specific. I think that I'm, I'd encourage any listeners who are thinking about specialising in diseases to, to give it a go. I think it's a fantastic specialty. Um, I've been doing it for a long time now and I still thoroughly enjoy it. And it's a really, really good area of medicine to specialise in. Um, so please, uh, please carry on considering it and do apply for it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me, James. That was really interesting. Great. Thank you very much, Daisy. For our case study, we are going to talk about one of the most famous patients in medical history, Typhoid Mary. Mary was born in County Tyrone, Ireland, in 1869. She was a now infamous typhoid carrier who allegedly gave rise to multiple outbreaks of typhoid fever. Mary emigrated to the United States in the 1880s. She worked first as a maid and cleaner and later as a cook. Because she was a healthy carrier, she did not herself become ill. Over and over again, between 1900 and 1907, many people in the households Mary worked in fell ill with typhoid. An investigation in 1906 by New York City Department of Health concluded that the cause was contaminated water. So Mary continued working and moving from household to household. 
1907, the same sanitary inspector who had initially identified contaminated water as the cause, finally identified that all the outbreaks connected back to Mary. Mary attempted to escape the authorities, but was caught and committed to an isolation centre on North Brother Island, a small island in New York City's East River. She was held there until 1910, when she was released on the condition that she did not work again as a cook. When, four years later, a typhoid epidemic broke out in a sanatorium and in a maternity hospital in New Jersey, authorities again sought out Mary. It turned out she had worked as a cook at both of those places. When she was found, she was again returned to North Brother Island, where she stayed for the rest of her life. These two quarantines lasted for a total of 26 years, and Mary died alone, without friends, on the North Brother Island in 1938. Thank you for listening to this Case Notes podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the work we do, you can visit our website at rcpe.ac.uk forward slash heritage. You can also find us on Twitter at RCPE Heritage and we have a Just Giving page, RCPE Heritage, linked to on our website if you'd like to support our work and help to fund future podcasts. Thank you.